Thank you, Chris and Molly. I've said many times one of the greatest joys of summer is having college students home with us, sharing their talents and gifts. I would like for us to pray together as uh, we begin this part of the service, invite you to bow your heads for a time of meditation and reflection to be in God's presence, and then I'll lead us in a time of prayer. In the silence, mighty God, we experience you. We ruminate on the blessings that we've already experienced because of you. The witness that we've heard of your holy name throughout the service today and the way we've been lifted in prayer and song and service. So we come with our brokenness and our needs, our sins, our desire for cleansing and renewal and a fresh filling of your spirit. We come, Lord, burdened about the concerns of our nation and a world that seems to be in conflict and at war with itself. The Trayvon Martin trial has reminded us again as a nation of the deep racial divide and the suspicion that still lingers there just beneath the surface. We pray that you'll give us grace as followers of Jesus to model talking with people instead of talking at people, that we might model listening, compassionate listening to others and to you, and that you might heal our nation. Lord, so many people in the world do not know that you are love. We thank you for whispering that in our ears and, and calling us to be your followers. And we pray that you'll help us to share the good news of your love in, in word and deed. Help us to think your thoughts and to hear with your ears, to see with your eyes, to walk as your feet and to love with your heart. We do pray today for those in our congregation who need healing of body and mind and spirit, healing of relationships, healing of hurts and wounds. We pray that you will help us to roll off those horrendous burdens and to be able to trust you and to be refreshed in your grace. And today as we open scripture that we might be able to see and experience the glory and the grandeur of being followers of Jesus. Father, you are wisdom and grace. Jesus, you are purity and strength. Spirit, you are nearness and truth. Bless us, we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians, the first chapter. As uh, you may know, we've been in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, all during the calendar year 2013, but we decided uh, several months ago that we would take a break in summertime and just be able to look at some other scriptures and return to Luke in just a few weeks or a series on prayer, but Colossians, the first chapter, verses 15 and following. And while you're turning there, let me just say how good it is to be back with you after uh, uh, being away. We had a great uh, conference, a general assembly at Cooperative Baptist Fellowship uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was a great and rich experience, and then had a couple of weeks of vacation time with family and time to relax, and uh, it was really good to be back with you. I'm grateful for a church that would allow me that time that important time to be away from the deadlines and the responsibilities of weekly preparation and have a time to refresh my mind. And uh, it is good to be back with you. I have to say that you are prettier and more handsome than I remember you. I just want you to know that. I'm going on record as saying that publicly. I, I, you do look good to me this morning, 
and it's good to be back with you as, as we share together. And I decided this morning, uh, the lectionary uh, scriptures, assigning scriptures suggested this. I decided that what I wanted to do my first Sunday back was talk to you about uh, my very favorite subject, and that's Jesus. Just to talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us in his life and death and resurrection. And there's no uh, richer passage of scripture anywhere in the Bible about that than Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. And so, would you stand, please, if you're able? And I'll begin reading aloud as you follow along prayerfully and silently. Colossians 1, 15 and following. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus Christ himself, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. May God bless this to our hearts and understanding. You may be seated. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, the Apostle Paul Uh, is hung up on Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is in love with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is obsessed with Jesus Christ. In fact, you pick a topic, you pick a hot-button issue, and any time it's raised, the Apostle Paul names that issue, and then he makes a beeline for Jesus Christ. He makes a beeline for Jesus Christ, who he is, in all of his beauty and holiness and majesty, He makes a beeline for Jesus Christ and what he's done, sacrificing his life for us on Calvary's cross. Just name the issue. Two church members fussing with one another. Paul leads you directly to Jesus Christ and to the cross. Uh, Someone burdened down with guilt and ashamed and embarrassed about sin and the web of deception that has captured your life. The Apostle Paul leads you directly to Jesus Christ, his person and his work. Or just take an ethical dilemma, any crisis, uh, weighing good and evil, and Paul immediately goes to Jesus, a beeline to the cross and to who Jesus is. Name any kind of issue, uh, struggling with relationship, or caught up in your own self-righteousness, a little too smug for your own good, the Apostle Paul is always leading you to Jesus, to the cross, to the person of Jesus, all that he did. 
struggling with priorities in life, of what comes first, how you order your life, Paul leads you to Jesus over and over and over again. Uh, you might think of it this way. If the Apostle Paul uh, had, had a, a little medicine bottle, he would put a stamp across it, Jesus Christ, good for what ails you. Whatever it is, the struggle, the issue, Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul was simply in love with Jesus. He was obsessed with Jesus. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it, and I'm paraphrasing this. He says, Jesus Christ is not just interesting, he's everything. Jesus Christ is not just interesting, he's everything. And that's a phrase we need to hang on to this morning because that's all that Paul was saying in this rich passage of Scripture. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but the, the symbol Cairo, the Greek letters Cairo, that is the earliest known Christian monogram. And by monogram, we mean like monogramming church with initials. Uh, we could even think of it today as logo or brand or graphic. The Cairo is believed to be the earliest Christian monogram, and the chi is the, what we would call the X. Those are three different examples of Cairo. And the rho is what we have in English as a P, but in, but in Greek is the rho letter, R-H-O. Those are the first two letters of the Greek word Christos, or Christ, or the Anointed One, or the Chosen One. The first two letters uh, make up the earliest monogram of the Christian faith. And the reason that I... Uh, showed this on the screen is because on your bulletin cover, the, the one in the upper left-hand corner uh, appears, and I, I like that because it shows Cairo, our Christ, at the center of the circle rather than being pu- pushed to the edge of the circle. And that's really what Paul was saying to the Colossians and to us. He was saying and is saying, Christ, Cairo, our Lord, must be at the center of our lives, not pushed to the margins, and to the edges of our lives. Barbara Brown Taylor, in uh, one of her books, talks about this renewal of interest in America today concerning spirituality. Uh, She mentions what we've talked about before, that uh, if you interview people today about faith, they'll say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious, whatever that means. And uh, this hunger for spirituality, Barbara Brown Taylor says, is, is a longing for the more. And the more has a capital M, an uppercase M, a longing for the more. There's, there has to be more to life than just getting up and going to a job and doing that for a while and then retiring. There must be more to life than simply going through the motions. And she says, the hunger for spirituality is a hunger for the more. And then she reminds us, that really what we're longing for is not more about God, but more God. You see the difference? Not more about God, but more God. That's that's what the heart really hungers for. And with that in mind, I invite your attention to the very first verse of what I read earlier in Colossians 1. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The word image in Greek is icon. Jesus is the coin print. He is the icon of God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen all there is to see of God. If you know Jesus, you know all there is to know of God. Jesus is the icon of God. Martin Luther said that Jesus 
is the mirror reflection of God's heart. Not the mirror reflection of God's face, but the mirror reflection of God's heart. You want to know how God feels about racial injustice? You want to know how God feels about suffering, about people pushed to the margins? You want to know how God feels about sin and about brokenness and our pain? Then look at Jesus. He's what God has to say about himself. He's the icon, and he is the way we experience God. And again, Jesus is not simply interesting. He's everything. Jesus Christ isn't simply interesting. He's everything. And then I'm interested in this phrase in Paul's letter to the Colossians in the latter part of verse 17 when Paul says that in Christ all things hold together. An interesting phrase. In Christ all things cohere. Uh, I think the King James translates that in Christ all things consist. That means they stick together and they, they last. As I sort of take the pulse of, of people in the community and, and people in our culture today, I don't find a lot of people hung up on guilt and sin. Probably we should be, but people have sort of just smoothed that over, probably to a fault. I don't find a lot of people obsessing about eternity and afterlife. Part of that is we've grown too comfortable in this life. But you know the one place where people are manifesting their lostness today, their their lack of direction, it's that sense of fragmentation. It's that sense that nothing fits, that nothing coheres, that, that, that there doesn't seem to be purpose, that there doesn't seem to be meaning. Life has disparate parts. It has uh, unattached little fragments, but it doesn't seem to be moving in a purposeful direction. That's another kind of lostness that the Bible describes. The uh, author G.K. Chesterton once described our world this way. He said, uh, the world today is like a desert island. And on this desert island, a shipwreck has washed ashore. In bits and pieces, the wreckage of the ship has come ashore. And a sailor awakens from a stupor and a deep sleep. And when he wakes up, he has amnesia, can't remember where he's been, can't remember where he's going, can't remember who he is. And so he goes up and down the coastline of this, of this deserted island, picking up clues and fragments and relics of the shipwreck. He picks up a compass, a little farther down the road he, he sees a map, a little farther down the path he finds uh, perhaps some clothing, some gold coins, but none of it makes a coherent whole, a coherent sort of hanging together. Chesterton said that's the way our lives are. We have spiritual amnesia. Uh, we see the good things of life. Uh, we see God's gifts, but we misuse them because we don't have a recollection of, of the purpose of those beautiful things. They bear a resemblance to something that we can vaguely remember, but they don't fit together. And in the midst of that kind of malaise, in the midst of that kind of lostness, the Apostle Paul trumpets loudly, in Jesus Christ, 
all things hold together. In Jesus Christ, everything coheres. In Jesus Christ, everything finds its place. We forget sometimes where the word religion comes from. The word religion comes from a word religio, which comes from our word for ligament, that that sinewy tissue part of the body that connects bones together and helps bones and muscles to do their work. And so religion is that which is supposed to re-ligament us. It is to take the fragmented broken bones and pieces and make us a coherent whole. Jesus Christ is the one who pulls life together, giving life meaning and purpose and direction and value. This is what it's about. In fact, verse 20 of Colossians 1 says it this way, translated from the message, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, atoms, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. All the broken, dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, atoms and animals, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. It's because of Jesus that life finally fits together. Jesus is the cosmic superglue that holds it all together. Jesus is the, the one that causes it all to cohere. And again, remember, Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. He's everything. Can you say that out loud with me? You look a little sleepy this morning. I kind of remembered you being a little more awake. I guess a few weeks away, you just start imagining things. Say this first phrase. Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. Repeat that. Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. He's everything. He's everything. He isn't just interesting. He's everything. Well, as Paul likes to do, he shifts gears. He moves from the general in verses 15 through 20 to the specific in verses 21 through 23. He shows us how the cosmic Christ in all of his lordship all of his power, all of his glory could come down to earth and suffer and die for us unselfishly. He moves us from the nosebleed section of lofty heights of grandeur down to the mundane and the ordinary and the dirty and the earthy and the practical everyday business of life. He shifts gears By saying, and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through his death. Well, here's the sad truth. A whole bunch of us evangelicals, a whole bunch of us Baptists, a whole bunch of us followers of Jesus are doctrinally pure and ethically filthy. We are doctrinally pure, 
We believe all the right doctrines about the deity of Christ. We would argue with anyone who said that Jesus Christ wasn't the Son of God, that He wasn't the firstborn of all creation, that He wasn't co-creator with God. We got all those doctrines pure, but it's this down-here-on-earth stuff that's a train wreck. Ethically, our lives are a mess. We aren't living for Jesus. Our lives aren't pure. They don't honor God. We aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. We aren't seeking God. Doctrinally pure and ethically messed up. And the Apostle Paul is always wedding those two, making sure that the lofty Christ gets lived out in daily relationship. He says, you who were once estranged, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. Do you see the progression? First of all, we're cut off from God. That's a condition. Then there's a mental attitude, hostile in our minds toward God. Don't need you, God. I can do this myself. And then that displays itself through evil deeds, actions that rebel against God. Estranged and alienated, a condition. A mental state, hostile in mind, and actions of evil deeds. But Paul says, through Jesus Christ, God has reconciled us. Through the miracle of Jesus, we have been transformed from enemies of God to friends of God. Through Jesus, we've been transformed from enemies to family because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What's this mean in everyday life? It means that Jesus Christ is not only above everything, but Jesus Christ is in everything. He's in every family relationship and family feud. He's in every dollar that we save or spend. He's in every public policy debate we ever have as a nation or a people. He's in every relationship that we work at to to sustain. He's in every hobby. He's in every community. He's in Jefferson City. He is deeply embedded everywhere, longing to do His reconciling work. And yet, He's always Lord of all, above it all, even though He's in it all. I had a man tell me this week, or recently, he said, uh, I've lost my spirituality. He's, he's suffered so much physically. He's been through so much. He's lost the routine of daily Bible readings. He's been cut off from the church family because of his health. And he just said, I, I've lost my spirituality. We talked a little bit about what it means to belong to Christ. And then I smiled and looked at him and said, aren't you glad that we're not saved by our feelings? Aren't you glad that we're not saved by our emotions, by how we feel at, at any particular moment? You see, when we're doing well, Jesus is Lord. When we're messing up, Jesus is still Lord. When we feel close to God and things are hitting on all cylinders spiritually, Jesus is Lord. But when we are far away from God, Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is Lord through every trial. And when we give up hope and we think there is absolutely no way out of the darkness that we are in, Jesus Christ is still Lord. He simply is. 
And so Jesus is the one that God offers and says, come to me. Through Jesus, God may be known. Through Jesus, God may be experienced and God may be trusted. God may be depended on and banked on. And it's through Jesus that we know God in this way. And God invites us to to come and to trust Him. To to enter into a relationship with Him and, and allow Him to really work in our lives. Because you see, we don't need more than Jesus. We need more of Jesus. We don't need more than Jesus. We just need more of Jesus. And we sang it earlier today, and I hope you heard it. There really aren't any words to capture the beauty of Jesus, but this hymn comes close. Fair is the sunshine, fairer still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host. Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. And remember, Jesus Christ isn't just interesting He's what? He's everything. He's everything. Let's pray.